Welcome to the Expats in Dubai show, your home for deeper news behind the scenes and real life stories. Hi everyone, it's Amber Wahid and welcome to the Expats in Dubai show and to another episode in the Great Fraud Fightback series where we deconstruct my story of investing with a rogue financial advisor. So we're entering into the third month of our podcast. We've passed the five episode mark, which apparently is the benchmark in podcasting. And 75% of podcasts don't progress beyond the five episode mark. So I only came to know of that statistic last week. So I thought, okay, we're doing good. And a lot of our success has to do with my guests. We've had some great guests in both the Great Ford Fightback series on Mondays and the Behind the Scenes series on Thursdays, which explores wider community topics such as COVID and corporate stress, amongst other things. So to recap in the Great Ford Fightback series... We started off the podcast with Stuart McCulloch from The Fry Group, and he walked us through the top three things we should look for when selecting a financial advisor. They should be licensed, regulated and qualified. And he explained what detail we need to look for. And he also touched upon the different commission models financial advisors follow and which model would serve us, the investors, the best. Sam Instone from AES International. He deconstructed my investment portfolio and the products and funds line by line that my rogue financial advisor, Neil Grant, had put together for me and also for the majority of his clients. And Sam explained why we lost all of it. A painful episode for Neil Grant's victims, but a real eye-opener for new investors. I then walked you through my experience and findings of the Data Subject Access Request, the DSAR, as part of our legal case against one of Neil Grant's partners, which gave us a very disturbing insight of the culture within a financial services company. Now, to balance out the bad with the good, I hunted out Con Lillis from Abacus, and Con discussed his leadership mantra, and he made a really good point that we should be replacing trust with transparency. And with Neil Grant's victims, he was absolutely right. That trust made us ignore the fine print that cost us a lot of money. And I explain what I mean by that in the following episode, when I gave you an overview of the plan that Neil Grant and his partner Philip Van Nas from Guardian put together to hoodwink investors into giving up their money. The Bulletproof Rogue Financial Pyramid Plan is the most popular episode in this series so far, over 2,000 downloads in the first week, as I think people really wanted to know and understand how do people get so easily conned, or as I like to say, manipulated. Last week, I decided to give Neil Grant a break, and we went slightly off topic to just remind everyone that we need to focus on our retirement. David Denton from Quilter International walked us through the UK pension options whilst living offshore. Okay, so back to today and we pick up my story when I start to feel particularly anxious about the trust Neil Grant had set up with Guardian Trust Company Limited in Jersey and the short-term five-year vision life insurance policy in Guernsey. Mysterious shortfalls were starting to plague my valuation accounts and the trust itself continued to flag up baffling losses. The main issue to me was that there was no rhyme or reason as to why. 
At this point, I had some idea about investment because after finishing university and after securing my first job, I gifted my first salary to my father as a thank you for supporting me in my education. In return, he bought himself a tie with the money and then he did what every responsible father would do for their child and poured the rest into a Marks and Spencer's traditional low-risk, long-term investment fund for me. Before I knew it, I was committed to putting £100 into it every month for my salary. Not quite the gift I had in mind, and I made a mental note to just buy him aftershave next time I wanted to thank him for something. However, a decade later, I was of course grateful because it acted like a piggy bank. It was a low-risk fund that dipped now and then, but only marginally, and on the whole, it was a steady incline, and I realised that I had a pretty good savings account. So it's exactly what I had in mind when I approached Grant, only the results were far different. And my experience started questioning everything. And I had this nagging insecurity that this just did not add up. All of the funds in the trust were suspended, yet showing a healthy return on paper. I couldn't make out the real value of the trust itself or how much of it was liquid that I could actually get my hands on. When I started to ask probing questions about the trust and the funds related to it, Grant was no longer answering my call so quickly and I noticed that he was fobbing me off. But again, I argued myself out of my own misgivings. At this point, I discovered a friend had given Grant an additional £200,000 on top of the initial £50,000 investment and he was coming up to retirement and I was getting really concerned for him. And I raised the question mark over Grant with friends and that we were all losing money. And the response was always disappointingly underwhelming. The response was always, it happens in investment. It comes in swings and roundabouts. And they always told me to just relax. So up to that point, there hadn't been a hint of suspicion about Grant, not so much as a wonder. And Grant was well prepared, ready to kill any argument I made. He emphatically denied anything was wrong. He blamed my lack of understanding of the financial industry. The thought-provoking question for many in this sordid affair is how could Grant have prayed for so long on so many strong Dubai professionals without getting suspicious? And the short answer is because most of us didn't really look at our policies or trusts or follow them or even understand them. With most of us, Grant took full control of the family finances and was able to hide the extent of the damage. To compound the problem, my friends were not thought to regularly read their valuation statements, instead depending on random updates from Grant on their investment portfolio, which had the effect of leaving them very poorly informed. This meant that no one really knew what was exactly happening with their finances. That's how much the trust was in Grant and how ridiculous I sounded to them to now question that trust. But unbeknown to me, I was unconsciously witnessing the kind of experience that will be only too familiar to millions of people being trapped in a relationship with a gaslighter. That's the term for someone who, through subtle manipulation and sustained abuse of power, undermines their investors' self-confidence, self-belief, and ultimately their sanity in a bid to keep them under the thumb. The term, well understood in psychiatric circles, is a form of control often exercised by fraudsters who feed their narcissistic needs by sucking the confidence out of others. 
quite a picture. Then something happened, something so small I had initially missed it. It wasn't until January 2015, Grant sent an email circular informing all of his clients of a change in his company license. Due to changes in the UAE law, he wrote that he would be working under the umbrella of a local insurance broker and he was going to run his business, Prosperity Management Consultancy, through their license. I was reading that and thinking, who? He had always referred to his company as Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants, as I had always known them to be. At no time during any correspondence or meeting had he referred to his company as Prosperity Management Consultancy. Months later, I asked Grant for a copy of his trade license to complete some documentation. I had to make that request eight times before he sent it to me. And even then, he didn't send me a copy of it, just the name and the license number on an email. And I wondered why didn't he just give me a copy of his license instead of going to the trouble of writing out the details himself. And there's that name again, Prosperity Management Consultancy. It was on the email. His email signature and the company name on which he sent the email to me was Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants. Following my friend's advice, I had tried to put my suspicions about Grant to the back of my mind. But right now, this was a big red flag. All these little pieces started meaning something when I put them together. Although I knew I was onto something, I still felt none the wiser. There was no choice. I was going to have to take this something outside my social circle and get an opinion on Grant's whole situation. And I remember a British guy I had met two years earlier at a networking function at the Hotel Bergelara. And he had mentioned that he had dined at the hotel often because his financial advisor kept awarding him hotel vouchers every time he introduced a new client to him. That sounds familiar. Would that be Neil Grant by any chance? I remember asking him that question. Turns out it was Neil Grant, and he was a good friend of his. Most of the construction industry had signed up with Grant because of him. Grant and his family had recently attended his wedding, so he was obviously very close to him. I wasn't sure on whether to call him or email him. I mean, how do you call someone after two years and ask them if there's any unusual activity with their investments? He might not even remember me and be offended. People don't like talking about money, let alone admitting to losing any. He may not want to get involved. He may put the phone down on me and tell Grant. And I was prepared for him to say and do all that. If that's the worst that could happen, I would take the risk. The desperate need for an unbiased ear was overwhelming and I decided to ignore any such scruples which were far outweighed by my curiosity. So I called him. And that call was the start of this journey and the spinning plates for Grant started to wobble. And this guy, who I named Nathan in the book, he had lost hundreds of thousands. My £60,000 loss paled in significance. Nathan was put in more or less the same funds as I was. He was repeatedly reassured by Grant that his investments were doing well, when in fact they were not. There was worse to come. He was actually one of the investors who ended up with two plans from the same provider that were identical. And how did Grant explain the total loss of all of his investment? He blamed the market, that standard reply. And when Nathan asked the fund managers if they could help recoup his losses, they could not. It's gone, they told him. You're never going to make that money back. 
and he asked them what had he done wrong. And at the time, the fund manager simply put it down to a misreading of the market that had cost him his savings. Perhaps he shouldn't have been investing in such policies in the first place. Perhaps he'd risked far too much money and he should have limited his exposure to, say, 5% of his net worth. All advice he hadn't received from Grant, who was looking to take more money off him. Their relations had deteriorated so badly that they were no longer on speaking terms. Nathan had probably introduced 30 of his friends and colleagues to Grant. Those friends and colleagues also brought other friends and colleagues. It was like a train. He had made it so easy for him. He would casually bring Grant up in conversations and he would make the introductions. That's the level of trust he once had in Grant. Now, at this point in time, all Nathan and I had was that Grant had lost all of our investments while badly managing our portfolio. But is this even a crime? How can we prove it? Can we get him to answer questions? Can we bring an action against him? If so, what action? Can we get our money back? I said to Nathan, we need to find all of this out. And Nathan said that he'll find out about Prosperity Management Consultancy because he's never heard of that name either. We had no idea what exactly we were pursuing. And as a devotee of jigsaws, I saw this as a gigantic jigsaw puzzle to solve. And the first piece was, where do you start in Dubai on bringing an action to get answers from your financial advisor? I wouldn't know how I was going to start it, but I knew where to start. Well, where else but at the heart of the financial community, Dubai Financial Service Authority, or the commonly used acronym DFSA in the Dubai International Financial Center. I've never had less of a plan in my life than when I did upon arrival in the DFSA reception area. I just turned up. I didn't think for a minute this would come under the DFSA jurisdiction, but I hoped that they may point me in the right direction. I was incredibly fortunate while sitting in reception, two British national directors on their way to an internal meeting were waved over by the receptionist and they kindly offered to hear my story there and then. The first time that I formally talked about the suspicions about Grant was with the DFSA and they went through all the documentation in front of me, the valuation statements of the trust and of the short-term vision life insurance policy. In particular, They peered at the names of the investment funds within the trust and they gave it to me straight. They've never heard of any of them or of Guardian Trust Company Limited, the trustee. And their analysis matched Sam Stone's analysis when he broke it down for us in episode five. My advisor had chosen high risk illiquid investments. The funds were startup companies where the risk was inevitably high because they were largely unregulated. But as we know now, the rewards for grant would also be high. Money poured into investments of a startup nature was every financial advisor's dream. They held the maximum commission for them. And the trust itself was also lining grants pockets with regular financial advisory fees. This is when I learned that Guardian Trust Company Limited, the trustee, had not been paying grants fees all these years, as he had told me. I had been. Although Grant was not paid directly from my pocket, he was paid indirectly from the trust itself. It's referred to as a hidden fee. Other types of hidden fees they predicted would be huge marketing fees that are never fully disclosed, which are also paid out of my trust. 
And despite what the figures in the valuation statements were showing, my investments they predicted were worthless and had been for some time. The figures that I received from Grant were just smoke and mirrors and not the actual value of the overall trust. So yes, they said, he hoodwinked you clearly. He should have stuck to traditional companies for you. And they explained, just as Stuart McCulloch did in the first episode, that if Neil Grant is not regulated, it will make it more difficult for us as there may be no complaints mechanism for us to pursue. There wasn't a systematic investigation that could be undertaken if Grant was not regulated anywhere. To them, it indeed appeared to be a typical case of mis-selling and mismanagement. That was the official industry confirmation and the insight that changed it all. They advised I assemble all the documentation that I had, including valuation statements, and they told me which appropriate formal bodies and organizations I needed to engage with to take forward the complaint, starting with the regulators in Dubai, the insurance authority. Grant could be opened some legal action as I had entered into an advisory agreement. Relevant considerations in the assessment of a complaint would include the extent to which the investments recommended to me from Grant were suitable for my circumstances and attitude to risk and what exactly was disclosed to me at the time. But I was warned it was a long shot. Not impossible, but a long shot. And the insurance authority was the best place to start. And they might be interested in helping me in some way. Another suggestion they offered was to consider engaging in legal assistance. But at this point, I decided not to. I had to understand and make sense of it myself first. They also advised me to check with Guardian Trust Company Limited to identify who has access to and control over my various fund investments. I previously had no direct contact with Guardian and unbeknown to me at the time, I was about to tip off Philip Van Nass, Grant's right-hand man in this whole scheme sitting in Jersey. My next stop was the insurance authority. I had no idea who to ask for when I arrived at the insurance authority's offices. And of course, I didn't have an appointment. I haven't phoned in advance thinking that I might win an advantage by making a surprise visit. It just so happens that the legal manager based in Abu Dhabi was visiting their Dubai office that very day and he was the person I needed to speak to and he agreed to see me there and then. Pure luck. He's a local Emirati who had opted to wear a suit instead of the traditional dish dash. I was bracing myself for some negativity along the lines of we can't help you and there's a procedure type that was rumoured to be unleashed on anyone who dares to approach a government organisation without an appointment but... It was nothing like that. And they gave me all of their time. And um, it gave me a fascinating insight into Grant's business activities and more importantly, the man himself. The Emirati couldn't for the life of him understand why I had given Grant so much money without checking any of his details. Although he was sympathetic, he was thinking I was a little crazy. He started to give his colleagues some instructions. They returned one by one to say there was no record within their system of either Prosperity Management Consultancy, Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants, or of Neil Grant. Despite the Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants website saying he was regulated, he wasn't. That was indeed a blow. But there was more. The manager read the email Grant had sent to his clients informing them that from January 2015, he was running his business through the license of a local insurance broker. And he said, legally, this is not possible. It was not possible for Prosperity to work under the license of an insurance broker. 
two companies could not operate from one business address or from one license performing different activities. Given this backdrop, the legal manager decided to ask some questions of his own. To grant himself, he picked up the phone and called him there and then. Now, I wasn't prepared for that. Grant had no idea that I had come this far. He thought I was just causing a stir at Friday brunches and over family barbecues. In the UK, authorities don't want to reveal to people like Grant that they are being investigated until they have an airtight case. In Dubai, they operate differently. It means inadvertently, Grant will be tipped off. And I didn't want that to happen, but at the same time, this constituted a major escalation in intrigue. It turns out I had no choice in the matter. The manager was determined and all I could think of was why not. There were so many questions. It was time Grant answered them. So I whipped out my phone to pass him Grant's mobile number and he put him on the speakerphone so I could hear everything. First, the manager explained to Grant he was calling about a complaint against him that had just landed on his desk. They wanted to ask him some questions pertaining to it. And Throughout the whole conversation, Grant refused to answer any questions regarding Prosperity, his new employer, who he had joined as a senior partner early that year, or which visa he was currently working on, simply on the basis that they were private information. And this early exchange set the scene for a factuous encounter between the two men. Grant was in avoidance mode and the legal manager was in detective mode. And things only got worse and heated as the conversation continued. Grant went on to refuse to answer any questions on the type of investments he handled and was uptight and defensive when the manager asked him about anything related to that. And the legal manager wouldn't let it go. He went through my portfolio on the phone to Grant and asked him questions to which Grant finally said, I can't discuss my client's portfolio with you on the grounds of confidentiality. The Emirati said she's sitting here. She's sitting right here giving her consent. And then he gave me a quick wink. It's awkward, really awkward. (laughs) Grant was surprised but still refused to answer anything. But the manager pressed on and went on to explain to Grant that it was not possible for Prosperity, an offshore investment company, to be licensed by an insurance broker and regulated by the insurance authority who deal only with insurance brokers and insurance-related products. He clarified to Grant that his employer an insurance broker, were licensed and regulated under the insurance authority, but Prosperity, a financial advisory company, was not. When asked if Grant was aware of this, he fell silent. Now, the Emirati once again asked if the products that Grant sold were insurance-related, to which the Grant now said they were not. This is quite simply not true. It was a direct lie. He was advising on life insurance products as well as investment products. This meant by law he had to be regulated by the insurance authority. The manager again asked Grant questions about prosperity and its license and its status, to which Grant replied that he did not have to share those details with him and that it was between him and the Department of Economic Development, the DED, the government body responsible for issuing the appropriate business licenses. The Emirati went on to ask what was his employer's business activity under DED. Grant avoided the question and the Emirati simply went on to state that he thinks it would be insurance brokers which would be correct for them but the question is if it allows anybody from the broker to act as a financial consultant. He gave me another wink signalling he already knew the answer. Grant was growing hostile and again stood firm and said he did not need to reply to that question either. The point is though with one simple answer 
He could have resolved this one way or another, and that would have been an end to it. But for him not to say anything at this stage was misjudged on his part. Question after question, and it bothered me that he didn't give the answer to a single one of them. And above all, why was he so secretive about his business affairs? Although we got Grant hot and bothered, we got nothing out of him. But based on that call, if we didn't think Grant was suspicious before, after that conversation, we now thought something had happened. Something was going on with his business activities and all these different licenses. And I was starting to see a glimpse of the real Grant for the first time. And it was rather shady. It was a far cry from the image he represented that now looks hopelessly tarnished. I went there hoping for answers. Instead, I felt as though I've been given a bigger, more impossible puzzle than the one I came in with. The legal manager asked me to check if Prosperity is regulated with Securities and Commodities Authority, SCA, and he explained that companies outside of the DIFC are regulated by the UAE Insurance Authority for all insurance-based products and SCA for investment-based products. And then he told me to go to the police and file a report because he needs to be investigated. And I was, I was really shocked The police? Do they investigate this sort of thing? Apparently they did. He explained it was a slow-moving process before he could hurl Grant or his employer before him for a meeting, and this was a far quicker call to action without getting bogged down by the system. Meanwhile, he said that he would make inquiries with Grant's employer and the DED. And I wrote an email to SCA and they confirmed that neither Prosperity Management Consultancy nor Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants were regulated by them for any activity. Okay, so he's not regulated anywhere. I didn't know enough about the local law to go into any detail. I had no idea what charges I could even bring against him. Mismanagement of funds, mis-selling, was that actually a crime? Doesn't a car salesman mis-sell oversell a car to us every time. Clarity on his business activities and licenses were definitely required as he certainly didn't like any questions related to them. It was still too early for us to get my head around it as there were so many loose ends and bits of information here and there and I didn't know how to tie them up but I might get all the pieces to the puzzle from some help from the police. The next step, the only step I could think of, was to talk with the police and get them to press Grant for some answers. Not one to shy away from a challenge, whatever else, it would be worth having a go. I just felt I had no other choice as Grant was not giving anything away. I knew nothing about how the Dubai police operated and had managed to stay out of the way from the day I had landed in the sandpit. But at least we can open a dialogue with them just in case something can happen. Indeed, just as you would expect from any good police drama, there was plenty of humour, tension, heartbreak and a healthy sprinkle of one-liners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Great Ford Fightback. Be sure to tune back in next week as we continue focusing on the expert journey in Dubai. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions on our website, businesssculpting.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.